Let's turn to John chapter 11, verse 45. I am reading from the English Standard Version. And it says this. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Christ Jesus came to die for the nation. So let's pray that we would understand what that means for us today. Because I'll tell you this, Caiaphas wasn't just talking about the Jewish nation. He thought he was, but scripture tells us he was talking about God's plan. Not just for the Jews, but for all those who were scattered abroad who are God's people. So let's pray. God would give us understanding. Okay? Lord, I pray that you open my mouth in utterance with great clarity, that it would be compelling, but most importantly, that it would please you, Father, and communicate your burden from this passage for this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what had just happened here? When it says in verse 45, many of the Jews therefore, uh, many of the Jews therefore who had come with Mary and had seen what he did believed in him. What, he, what had he just done? Well... In the first part of chapter 11, Jesus had performed an amazing sign. He had raised a dead man to life after the guy had been dead for four days. This guy's name was Lazarus, and he was a good friend of Jesus. And Jesus waited till he was four days in the grave. And he went to his home, and he raised him from the dead. And so when it says here that many of the Jews believed They were believing not only in what Jesus did, but do you know what Jesus actually said when he raised him from the dead? He said, in essence, I am God. Because this is what he said. He said this to Mary. I am the resurrection and the life, and no one who believes in me will die. I will raise him again on the last day. And for any good Jew, they understood exactly what he was saying. I'm God. I'm God. So we've got this incredible political firestorm. Bethany, this is where he raised Lazarus, was very close to Jerusalem, which is the capital of the Jewish nation. Israel was under authority, under conquest from the Romans. The Romans say that Caesar is God. Now you've got a dude coming in, raising someone from the dead and saying, I am God. And the leaders of the nation of Israel said, we got to deal with this guy. Because if we don't shut him up, everybody's going to believe him, especially if he keeps raising people from the dead. I mean, you, t- you talk about a little bit of welfare. I mean, 
Help me back there. But here's the deal, seriously. If this guy keeps raising people from the dead and people keep believing on him, then the Romans are going to come here and they're going to destroy our place and our nation. Now, what was he talking about there when he said our place in verse 48? See where it says there, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. What was he talking about there, okay? Remember, Jewish life was not secular. Jewish life was theocratic. So the center of Jewish life was the place where the Jews met with God. That was the temple, which was massive. It was on the highest hill in Jerusalem. It dominated Jewish life, both political and secular. So what they're saying is, if Jesus keeps going, they're going to come in here, they're going to hear people saying, Hosanna, he's the king, all hail King Jesus. And they're going to destroy our temple, which is where we worship God, and they're going to wipe out our nation. So they were really concerned. They were really concerned. They were so concerned that the leader, a guy named Caiaphas, says, verse 49, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Verse 50, you don't understand. It's politically expedient. It's better if we kill this guy, even if it's unjust, than that he result in the killing of our nation and the destroying of our temple. This is what he said. And he truly believed it. Now, let's, let's, take a, let's trace Caiaphas. Let's look at what Caiaphas is doing a week later, shall we? Now, in your notes, under point number one, gather together in Christ as God's people, you'll see a line that says, Christ died to gather us together as God's people. And I want you to read with me there what Caiaphas is doing a week later. So one week from the text we just read, one week removed, we see Caiaphas doing something. And let's read what he's doing. This is the leader of the Jewish people, the high priest. We heard him saying, and I'm reading from Mark chapter 14, verse 58. We heard him saying, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Who's talking here? Let me tell you who's talking here. They've implemented the plan. They've arrested Jesus. He is bound and he is being tried for blasphemy, which is for a Jew the same as treason. And they're accusing him of saying that he would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Let's continue to read. Verse 59. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst. Now, who's standing up here? Caiaphas. The same guy who just a week earlier had prophesied, though he didn't know he prophesied, that one man should die so that the whole nation isn't destroyed. Listen to what Caiaphas says. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, all right, face to face now with the troublemaker. He's got him just where he wants him. The polls are looking good. My man's going to win and this guy's going down. Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he, and the he there is Jesus, verse 61. But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest, read Caiaphas, asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? 
You know, what he's asking him is, are you God? Are you the resurrection and the life? Are you who you say you are? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated on the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments. By the way, this isn't just like tearing my shirt. This would be like the ultimate Brooks Brothers, okay? I mean, this is like the garment of garments made of perfect, beautiful linen and silver and, and, and just perfectly arrayed. This is the high priest's garment. You don't just tear this. He tore it as a symbol of his consternation. And he says, what further witnesses do we need? Actually, they didn't have enough witnesses. Jesus could have walked away free. Jesus voluntarily said, yeah, I'm God. Go ahead and kill me. What further witnesses do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Now, turn back to the main point of this sermon. Jesus died for us to gather us together as God's people to advance the gospel. So therefore, God's appeal to you this morning as we pause the sermon for just a second is listed here as gather together in Christ as God's people to advance the gospel. And the first point that we're trying to make here is that when Jesus came, he said very clearly, it's no longer in that temple where you meet with God, it is in me where you meet with God. That's why they were trying him for saying, I'll destroy the temple. Did you, did you notice that? He said he'd destroy the temple. Well, what he said is, you meet with God and me because I'm God. What? We've met with God in that building. Now it's the second one because the first one got destroyed because of our sin in 560 BC. But we rebuilt this one. It is one of the wonders of the world. This is where we meet with God. So who's right? Where do you meet with God? Do you meet with God in a building? under a religious order, in time-honored traditions, or do you meet with God in a person? That was the point. That was the point. Well, let's pick up the narrative now. Let's see what happens. Look at Mark 15, verses 22 to 38. Again, you have those lengthy scripture in your notes. And, and by the way, this is a practice that I do. I welcome you to do it. Obviously, I want you to turn in your scriptures, but what I like to do is when I'm listening to a message or I'm, I'm interacting with scripture, I like to interact with it in writing. So that's why I've provided the scripture for you. We're going to take our time to look through this because the point we're making is this, this claim of Christ that you meet with God in me, all right? That's the main point. Gather together in Christ, that's that first point, to advance the gospel. We'll get to advancing the gospel in point two. But point one, do you gather together in Christ? Where does that come from? And so as you're reading this text, God may, may speak to you, may, may, may convict you of something. Jot it down in here. Put arrows, underline things, circle them, interact with the text. Because, you know, this is God talking to you, right? So interact with them. Okay? All right. So we're picking this up now. He's been convicted. He's been tried. He's been convicted. Now he's being sentenced. Mark 15, 22. And they brought him, Jesus, to the place called Golgotha which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. And they crucified him. Jesus died for us. They crucified him. Here's the main point. Now notice what's going on around him. 
and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. So you got the Roman soldiers gambling for his garments. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. All right, so the third hour would be nine o'clock in the morning. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, King of the Jews. By the way, just imagine you're watching a movie and, and they're graphically just trying to set the scene. Scene one, terrible suffering. A naked man suffering on a cross, d- being crucified. Scene two, hardened Roman soldiers. Irrelevant, they could care less about his suffering. They're gambling for his garments because his garments were worth something. Scene three, this funny sign just on his cross. There were three crosses just on his, king of the Jews. Who are they kidding? King of the Jews. This is a, a common criminal, the worst of the worst. Okay? So let these scenes just flick it through your mind. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. You who said that we meet with God and you? Are you kidding me? If that's true, get down from the cross. Gets even worse. So also the chief priest. Ah, who do we find here? Our dear friend Caiaphas. Our dear friend Caiaphas. Where do we find Caiaphas? We find Caiaphas at the foot of the cross doing some serious trash talking. Serious trash talking. And what's he saying? And so also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another saying, ha ha, he saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Remember how we began this? Some Jews saw and believed when he raised Lazarus a week earlier from the dead. Oh, he's the king of the Jews. Oh, he's the Christ. Well, why don't you come on down, Jesus, so we can see and believe. Oh, did they miss it? Did they miss it? Remember when he said you do not understand to his fellow chief priests, party of the chief priests? He's the one that didn't understand. I wonder, do you, do I? Jesus couldn't come down from the cross because he was God and the plan was for him to die in his body for your sin and mine to bear our iniquities so that when he was finished, we could meet with God in him. So the very thing that they said disproved him being God was the very thing that proved that he was God, but it was hidden from them. Is it hidden from you? Hidden from all of us before God opened our eyes. Christ crucified. Foolishness to the world. Weakness. The wisdom and power of God. Let's let's just continue reading this to see. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. I mean, it's so bad that even the guys who are suffering on his right and left are mocking him as well. No one understood. Verse 33, and when the sixth hour had come, that's noon, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, which is three in the afternoon. And at the ninth hour, Jesus, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus had to be forsaken for you and me so that we could meet with God. 
He had to take the sin that separates you and me. He had to be forsaken and scattered so that you and I could be accepted and gathered. No one understood that one. And some of the bystanders hearing it said, oh wait, wait, I think I know what's going on. He's calling for Elijah. There was a tradition that Elijah comes and helps those in distress. Cool, man. Let's see if Elijah shows up. (laughs) This is like, wow. Maybe we'll see like some apparition, you know. Let's go run to see the next spiritually exciting thing. Maybe Elijah will show up. They didn't understand what was going on. And so someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Wouldn't that be cool? And when Jesus uttered a loud cry, and we know that uh, from other gospels, his cry was, it is finished! And breathed his last. Now pay attention. Mark, the camera, moves from a cross and a crucified man who breathes his last, and suddenly the the scene breaks and shifts to a temple. The temple he said he would destroy, but he didn't really say he destroyed that temple. The temple he was talking about, the place where man and God meet, and suddenly the scene moves, and boom, what do you see? You see a curtain, the most beautiful, the most foreboding curtain that separates the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. The curtain that separates the very presence of God from sinful man. The curtain that has been there since the time of Moses some 1,500 years earlier. And suddenly, what do you see? Verse 38, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom because Jesus finished what he said he would start. You no longer meet with God there. You now meet with God with me. And so that curtain is ripped in two. And what separated man from God, the punishment for our sins, has been now atoned for. In my body, it is finished. It is finished. And no one saw it. If the scene would have shifted back to the cross, you would have seen the high priest high-fiving each other. The clock reads double zero. My team won again. We won in overtime, just barely. But the Romans didn't destroy our temple. The Romans didn't destroy our nation. And that troublemaker is dead. Let's go have a beer. That's what you would have seen. You would have seen his followers weeping. You would have seen people hopeless. But oh friend, what God saw, what God did, was ripped that which separates you and me from him in the body, the dead body of Christ. His blood poured out for your sin. Oh, can it be something that would take the guilt and the shame of my sin and the separation between me and God? Yes, it is. It's the blood of Christ. It's the life of Christ given for you. That's what heaven saw. That's what heaven saw. Now, the second part of this sermon. Not only do we gather now in Jesus Christ no longer in some dead religion, no longer in your own thought or mind of what you think makes you acceptable to God, but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But now we gather together in Christ to advance the gospel. To advance the gospel. See, because verse 51, going back to John 11, verse 51 of John 11 says this. We're we're back to Caiaphas. He did not say this, that one man should die for the whole nation. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest, 
that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Verse 52, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Jesus died to provide a place for us to meet with God, but he died to gather. He was forsaken and scattered that we would be accepted and gathered. And then he says to his disciples, the last thing he says to them before he leaves the earth, 40 days after this event, 40 days later, the resurrected Christ, about to ascend into heaven, gathers his disciples on Mount Olives and he says, well, let's read what he says. Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. (laughs) But some doubted. Don't you love that? (laughs) I mean, they saw him slumped dead on a cross. For 40 days he's been hanging out with them, but some of them still doubted. That's good. That's there for me, okay? That's there for me. And then Jesus, instead of rebuking him, verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, listen, I chose one man in Genesis 12, Abraham, a pagan. And out of that one man, I I created a nation. I chose one nation, Israel. And for, for centuries, I dealt with one nation. That's where my spirit was. That's where my presence was. If you wanted to know me, you had to come to Israel and become a Jew. You had to go to that temple and get to know God. But that's not my ultimate plan. Because when I chose that one man in Genesis 12, I told him, I told him, you are going to be a blessing for the nations. Because I had another man in mind. Jesus. Isaiah 11 talks about him as being the one, the root of Jesse. And that one man has come and he's died so that my presence was funneled down into one man and one nation. But then ultimately now at Pentecost, the Spirit of God is given because the resurrected, ascended Christ has sent forth the Spirit. And now I want all nations, all peoples. For a Jew that was radical thinking. Go preach the gospel of my life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Make disciples of them, because all authority is given to me. Gather together in Christ to advance the gospel. Because the power of God to save people is in the gospel. Romans 1, 16 and 17, on the back of your notes, Romans 1, 16 and 17 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. So now gather together to go out in the power of the gospel and advance it. So here are two questions for you. Just pause, press pause here for a moment. Point one, do you value gathering with God's people? Because Jesus died to gather us. Do you understand that in scripture God always gathered his people to bless them? He always scattered his people to curse them. 
Do you value it? And then the second question, relating to the second point, are you busy advancing the gospel in your little world? Now, as, as that question rolls off my lips, I have a testimony to share with you. I'm so excited about this testimony. It is so good that I've asked the person who holds that testimony to come up here and share it with us, how God has used her, a single mom, in her work to advance the gospel because she trusts not in her power, but in the power of the gospel. So would you please welcome Michelle Cowart as she comes up to share this testimony. And as she comes up to share this, please pray for her because standing in front of you is a little intimidating, isn't it? (laughs) Michelle, you are here with friends. Share your heart, what God did. Good morning. On December 20th marks four years working with my current employer. Two of my challenges with this job were the distance I traveled to and from work and the work environment. All I did was complain about my job. I was miserable. Convinced I had to leave this job, I started looking and looking. All doors were closed. During this time, I attended Celebration South 2006, where Brent Detweiler was one of the speakers. In one of his sermons, Brent mentioned um, being bold for Christ, with your family and in your workplace, etc. After hearing this, I challenged myself. Was I being bold? The answer, no. So I purposely started sharing my faith with others at work, asking if they had any prayer requests, inviting them to church, either to this church or the church in Fort Lauderdale. This would continue with every new customer service rep or colleague I work with. Now on my third boss, who I know was sent from God, I currently have a job I like and people I like Sometimes. <laughs> After two years of asking this one lady I worked with to attend the Fort Lauderdale Church, she now attends regularly. She also attends the single mom's meeting, and her 16-year-old daughter attends the youth meetings. Just the other day, as I was dancing and singing worship music being played on my computer, one of the customer service reps suggested we have a time of prayer in the morning. I had to stop dancing because I couldn't believe what I just heard. And I asked her, when would you like to do this time of prayer? She wasn't sure, so we decided on Monday mornings. So um, last Monday was actually our second day of prayer. Everyone was a little nervous in the beginning, including myself. I thank God for this moment because a couple of years ago, I was trying to run away from this place where God had placed me in. You would have to hear my testimony four years ago to understand why I said God have placed me there. And now the light, I believe, lantern you mentioned, Desi prophetically told me years ago I was going to be at my job. It's now shining for his glory. Amen. Amen. Uh, that is that is amazing. All right, now listen, listen. This is what God is saying to us. It's not about the force of your personality. (laughs) It's not about your intellectual ability. It's about your faithfulness. Jesus Christ said, I have all authority. I'm sending you. Okay? 
Jesus Christ said the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So, the question is, are you busy thinking, praying, planning, implementing very normal ways that you can reach into your world? I can't reach into your world, but you can. To help you with that, I have some application questions for us to consider together. You'll find them on the back page of your notes. Firstly, in order to give, you must have. In order to receive, you must gather. Because God calls you to come together to bless you. So, what priority do you assign regular attendance and meaningful participation in Sunday service and Wednesday night home group? It's just a question for you to explore. Why don't you ask your family members, your friends? Draw other people in other than just your own evaluation. Number two, what do you do to prepare your heart and your family's heart for meaningful participation in Sunday service and Wednesday night home group? If you're a guest this morning, Wednesday night home group would be the place where we would seek to apply messages from the Bible, build relationally, try to walk out our faith. Do you go ready not only to receive but to participate? Number three, Does your participation include considering how you and your family can serve with a spiritual gift from God? And here are some examples of spiritual gifts. Administration, setup team, ushers, tech team. Oh yeah, those are spiritual gifts. They are. They are. Gift of serving. Or maybe some of the more spectacular gifts. Prophecy, mercy, hospitality, teaching. Did you know that children's ministry is the gift of teaching that God would use you to help teach our children? It's a spiritual gift God's given you. He wants you to employ it in the church. Number four, how do you prepare your heart to give God worship and receive and apply his word prior to attending corporate meetings? This morning, driving here, did you say to your family, hey guys, let's go ready to worship. Let's get there on time. Let's get there early. Let's be leaning forward, man. So when Miguel stands up, that first chord goes down, that first graphic goes up, we're like, boom, God, this is for you. I'm here on time. I'm worshiping you. Did you say, hey guys, you have your Bibles? You got a pen? Are we ready to take some notes? Because we're going to hear from God and we want to apply that. That's a good question to ask yourself. And number five, how are you reaching out to others and seeking to make gospel disciples with the gospel? May these questions serve you in applying this message. And may this message, because it's God's word, Bless your soul.